Let's pray. Dear God, those are our roots. So what's it mean for us third millennium survivors? What do we take from this story behind us for our journey into the future? Make it clear. Give us courage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you happen to lock in on to that last line that James was reading? Last line. That was something else. Did you catch it? We entered upon this work penniless with few friends and broken in health. So here's the question. How penniless is penniless? Let me share with you a story or two. He was born James Springer White, August 4, 1821. His daddy, as it turns out, was related to one of the original pilgrims who sailed across that storm-tossed Atlantic in that skiff called the Mayflower. So he is true blue New Englander, all right? Sickly from a kid up. In fact, he, historians have wondered if, in fact, he, he suffered from dyslexia. Some of you are dyslexic. You know what that's like. He didn't really get into reading until he was in his teens. At the age of 16, he's baptized into the Christian Connection, the oldest indigenous American reform movement. It's still in existence today. It's called the Christian Church. So he's baptized into that church. He earned a teaching certificate, did some, did some elementary school teaching. But then in 1842, James is 21, 1842, he happens to hear a preacher named William Miller. He is so stirred up by this preacher's absolute conviction that the book is declaring that Jesus is coming soon, that at the end of the meeting, true story, at the end of the meeting, he goes up to the speaker and asks, can I buy one of those prophetic charts, those cloth charts? They sell him one. He borrows a horse and with a broken but mended bridle and saddle, he sallies forth to preach, Jesus is coming soon. 21 years old. By some accounts, listen to this, between 1842 and 1843, young James White leads over a thousand men, women, and children to Christ. Isn't that amazing? In the period of a year, he had the passion. Just like all those pioneers, they had that trifold passion. Passion for the Savior, passion for His soon coming, passion to tell the world about it. Three passions. They all had it. October 22, 1844. How old is he now? He is 23 years old. James joins the Millerites. Remember, that's the name they gave to these men, women, and children who followed the teaching of William Miller, believing that Jesus is coming on this very date. James, on October 22, is ready. This is the day Jesus returns. And guess what? He didn't come. His heart was broken. In fact, years later, in his book, Life Incidents, he describes the devastating disappointment. Take a look at his words on the screen. When Elder Himes, that would be Pastor Joshua Himes, big congregational church in Boston, when Elder Himes visited Portland, Maine a few days after the passing of time and stated that the brethren, that's what they called each other in this movement, stated that the brethren should prepare for another cold winter. My feelings were almost uncontrollable. I left the place of meeting and wept like a child, 23 years old, sold out on his passion. Can you imagine? In 1845, he joined a team of young Millerites who decided, let's go and, let's go and visit the, the, the former Millerites, 
broken hearts and hopes, but let's go visit them. Young man, included in that young band was a 17-year-old girl named Ellen Harmon. And as fate would have it, friendship grew, and then friendship blossomed into a romance. And realizing that they were going to need to be very careful about propriety and appearances, 25-year-old James White and 18-year-old Ellen Harmon decided to get married. Those words that James read just a moment ago, let me put them on the screen for you. We were married August 30, 1846, and from that hour to the present, she, Ellen, has been my crown of rejoicing. And then comes that line. We entered upon this work penniless, with few friends, and broken in health. End quote. In fact, they were so penniless that as soon as they got married, they moved in with her parents. Oh, boy, don't you ever do that. Don't you know if you're thinking about it, just forget it. Well, where are they supposed to go? They have nothing. Then they, go to, they, they start staying and living with friends. You remember John Evans Andrews, the namesake of this university? They move in. Well, he's still a teenager. They, Andrews' family says, come live with us. You remember that. They have borrowed furniture. James has to augment his meager in income with splitting wood and building a railroad track just to get some pennies to, to survive on. They were passionate about their faith, passionate about their Savior, and that's all they had. And then listen to this. November 1848, while in a meeting in Dorchester, Massachusetts, 21-year-old Ellen is given a message to her husband. She relays the message. I'll put her words. Now, this is her writing. I'll put her words on the screen. I said to my husband, I have a message for you. You must begin to print a little paper and send it out to the people. Let it be small at first. But as the people read, they will send you means with which to print. And it will be a success from the first. From this small beginning, it was shown to me to be like streams of light that went clear round the world, end quote. The vision became the radical paradigm shift for young James. Suddenly now, this divine, divinely inspired strategy to make the publishing work, the, the publishing of books and magazines strategic in the cutting edge to reach this nation and eventually the world. You got you to gotta print, you got to print, you got to print. And as they say, the rest is history. And they're still penniless. But as they move around now among the Sabbatarians, and by the way, old Captain uh, Joseph Bates, he's the one that taught them about the Sabbath. They, they resisted it at first, you remember. But they finally say, you know, it's the Word of God, the seventh-day Sabbath from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It's never been changed. So now they're, they're moving among the Sabbatarians, the bands of Sabbatarians, and they're saying, hey, guys, listen, we have got to publish. We've got to come up with a magazine. We've got to come up with books. But we need a press. We need a press. And wouldn't you know it, Hiram Edson, does that name ring a bell? Remember the one on Hiram Edson? The, the, uh, the, the New England, the New York farmer in Port Gibson. He steps up to the plate, 1850, he says, I'll sell my farm. He sells his farm and gives the proceeds to evangelism to build up the kingdom, the enterprise of this new movement. He buys another farm in, uh, in, in Port Byron. And then he hears about the printing press need. He sells that farm. And from his proceeds, he provides the capital for James to purchase a printing press in Rochester, New York. 
Now you can understand, by the way, why James and Ellen have a real soft spot in their heart for Hiram Edson, which is why their four boys, they name one of the boys after his daddy and after Hiram, James Edson. You may have heard that name. Well, now they have a printing press, and thus is born the publishing of the official journal of what would become, not yet, what would become the Seventh-day Adventist denomination, a journal called the Review and Herald. Today it's called the Advent Review. Circulation today, well over four million. But it started out with a dream, a vision. Publish, publish, publish. A few months later, people in Michigan said, y'all ought to leave New York and come over to this great state. So they came to Michigan. Good for Michigan, by the way. Came to Battle Creek. And in Battle Creek, the members provided a brick structure into which they could put their new printing press. And then was formed the Review and Herald Publishing Association, the oldest institution in this community of faith called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And from Battle Creek, yep, exactly as she saw it, streams of light across the nation and eventually circling the, circling the earth. But by the way, James now is so passionate about publishing. He's not content to having, to having the Review and Herald Publishing Association in Battle Creek. No, no, no. We need something out in California, 1870s. He raises up the Pacific Press Publishing Association. Later on, there will be the Southern Publishing Association. Publish, publish, publish. But sadly, here comes the sad news. Sadly, James White. Now listen carefully. Some of you can take a... Take a Take a cue out of this uh, playbook. James White was a workaholic. Yep, workaholic. And drove himself to an untimely death. Just driven, driven by his passion. In fact, he was elected. Get this. He was elected the first president of the General Conference. He turned it down. Smart move on his part because he had been really agitating. We need to organize. We need to be a denomination. We got to come on, come on, organize. And he says, if I take the job, they'll say, that's why you want to organize. You want to be big prez. But I just learned this this week. He was, he was elected later. That I knew. But he ended up serving an aggregate of 10 years because they kept coming back to him. They had short terms back then. That would be a concept, wouldn't it? They had short terms back then, and they kept coming back, coming back, coming back. Short terms for all of us, by the way. Yeah, you got it. So... He just, he, just, he, just, he just was driven. By the way, he's the, he's the mind behind the formation of the Battle Creek College, the great academic precursor of Andrews University. He's the one, this indefatigable preacher, along with his wife, Ellen. They are crisscrossing the east, east, east. Then it's Midwest and east. Then it's west, Midwest and east. He just will not stop until, boom, Mother Nature says, you are stopping, boy. And he was brought down by a debilitating stroke, it almost took his life. Now, remember, medical science back then, nothing like today. He almost died. Dropped out of his work, went, turned to physical exercise, spent three months in the Rockies in Colorado. In the meantime, his wife, Ellen, receives a comprehensive health vision that describes the, how, how, in fact, we treat these bodies of ours is indeed a moral issue for an end-time generation. And James and Ellen adjust their diets. They adjust their lifestyle. They adjust. But, unfortunately, he's still a workaholic, still driven. After his first stroke, James became so irascible 
that not only were his colleagues feeling the heat of his very now touchy spirit, but so was his wife. As we now review the correspondence between the two of them, it is clear that their marriage in those difficult post-stroke post years hit some real choppy waters. Let me share a letter that she wrote to him. Two days after he left home on a ministry itinerary, I put the words on the screen for you. We are all well as usual, dear James. It takes a little time to get settled down from the excitement of your going. Remember, four boys. You may be assured we miss you. Especially do we feel the loss of your society when we gather about the fireside evening. So they have family worship. We miss you at family worship time every night. We feel your absence. Oh, we feel your absence when we sit around the social board. That would be the dining room table where the family ate. A couple weeks later, he's still on this itinerary. A couple weeks later, she sends this letter to him. I love this. I had written you quite a lengthy letter last night, but the ink was spilled upon it, making an unsightly blotch. And so I'll not send it. Oh, we received your few words last night on a postal card. So he sends a postcard to them. She quotes the postcard. She turns it over. Here's his message. Battle Creek, April 11th. No letters from you for two days. James White. <laughs> Go figure. A little bit touchy. And then I love this. She goes on. This lengthy letter was written by yourself. Thank you, for we know you are living. <laughs> I will write you every morning. Will you do the same? <laughs> While James White recovered from his stroke, he never really did. I mean, physically he was okay, but it was just, he was just wounded. I mean, he's a wounded warrior now. Pushing himself to the limit. And eventually, to a premature, premature end, he just... And thus it was that James, one of the three co-founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, James and Ellen and Joseph Bates, thus it was, he died in the Battle Creek Sanitarium from complications from another stroke, Sabbath, August 6, 1881, two days after he turned 60. His wife would outlive him by 27 years. He didn't have to die that young. Neither do you. How did he put it? Put his words on the screen, please. We entered upon this work penniless, with few friends, and broken in health. Wow. Penniless. As it would turn out, he and Ellen, and as, as so many of the early pioneers did, they would sacrificially plow their meager resources back into the growing movement. When James started in ministry, he was making a whopping $4 a week. When he died, he was making a whopping $12 a week. Nobody went into this for wealth. That wasn't their ambition. They had a passion. The world needs to know Jesus and that he's coming soon. Yeah, penniless. With few friends? Oh, not so for James. When he dies... The Dime Tabernacle in Battle Creek, Michigan, on the day of his funeral, was packed with over 2,500 people, business people of Battle Creek that he'd become friends with, townsfolk that he'd become friends with, and, of course, the church members, everybody paying tribute to the sacrificial life of this leader, now fallen. In fact, the Battle Creek Journal, it's a newspaper, 
It was being edited, and he wrote this, a former congressman. So he writes this eulogy of James White. I put the words, some words of this eulogy on the screen. He, speaking of James, was a man of the patriarchal pattern, and his character was cast in the heroic mold. If the genius to shape and direct the destiny of great communities be a mark of true greatness, Elder White is certainly entitled to the appellation. Therefore, as with all true founders of communities, his life is not a broken shaft but an enduring column whereon others are to build." End quote. Andrews University. Take a good look at that face. We are built on the life and legacy of James White. In fact, the one building on this campus where more study takes place than any other building, the library, is named after this pioneer, the James White Library. How did he put it? We entered upon this work penniless with few friends and broken in health. Wow. Reminds me of another line in Scripture. Grab your Bible, will you? Open your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Can't help but think about this line. It reminds me, at least me, it reminds me of the early pioneers. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm in the NIV. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible. You got it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's pick it up in verse 1. And now, this is Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. This is a rather affluent church. He's going to brag. He's going to brag on the Macedonians. Now, these are, these are dirt poor. We're talking about the Macedonian churches. That would be Philippi. That would be Thessalonica. That would be Berea. If there are others, we don't know of them, but at least those three. He's going to brag on them. Watch this. He has a reason for bragging on them, by the way. Here we go. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Don't you love that? Their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What is up with that? I'll tell you what's up. Now, look at, look at, this is not a categorical, so don't, don't hold me to this. I'm going to make a statement right now. This is not categorical. I'm going to say it is generally true. It is not always true, so don't get all hyperventilating on this. But here's the point. The poorer the giver, the more generous the gift. That generally is true. Generally. The poorer the giver, the more generous the gift. When I began ministry... We were doing something called ingathering. I know you have no clue what ingathering is. Trust me, you do not know. You've been delivered as a generation. No, we had, we had ingathering, and it was it was something. It was where we went house to house in the cities and towns where we lived as Seventh Day Adventists. We would go door to door, and we would say, "We're raising Christmas dollars for our Good Neighbor program." That could be the Dorcas Ministry in town, or the Community Service Center in town, or it could be Adra Adventist Development Relief Agency. And because it was Christmas, we would have carolers sit, standing right there, ready to sing when somebody came to the door. And by the way, my job, when I went, because I did business in gathering during the day. You don't even know what that is. I had to go to businesses during the day to raise money. But at night, it's your turn. 
So it'd be a teenager at the door, a husband and wife, whatever. They'd be at that. My job was always in the, in the band I was in because we had bands all over the town. In my band, it was, okay, Dwight, when, when you think they're about there, start singing, will you? Just, you got a loud mouth, just sing something and we will follow. And so I tell you the truth. Today, I can sing it backwards and forwards, the first stanza of Joy to the World because of caroling. Joy to the world. Every time I saw a little shadow, hey, here we go. Joy to, joy to the world. And we do that every time. Next house, same thing. If you ever want me to sing the whole stanza through, see me afterwards. But here's one thing I learned from in gathering, house to house. This is what I learned. The poorer the home, generally, the more generous the gift. You know, I think there's something about this, this sympathy. I've been there and done that. I feel, I feel your pain. And the poor would reach in. Yeah, come on, I'll help the poor. Isn't that amazing? That's why for the Macedonian church, their extreme poverty welled up in, in rich generosity. Oh, by the way, it was the same when Jesus saw that. Hey, hey, yo, guys, shh, watch this. See that woman right over there in church? Look at that. She has given more money. I'm telling you. That little widow, she has given more money than everybody today because they have given out of their wealth, but she has given all out of the poverty of her wallet. Somehow it's true. So, verse 3 now. So, Paul's writing about the poor Macedonians. Verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Verse 4, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Verse 5, And, oh, isn't this something? They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What you have just read is the great two-step of sacrificial giving. You want to be like the pioneers? You want to be like the Macedonians? Here's what you do. Vertically, first you give yourself to God, then horizontally you give yourself, you give yourself to His mission. It's a two-step. Vertically, first to God, horizontally, then to the needs around you. That's what the Macedonians did. That's what the early pioneers did. Vertically, first you give yourself. What about myself am I supposed to give? Hey, guys, thank you for picking the songs, by the way, Josh. Good, selections, good, good selection of songs today. Fit right in with this theme. I give my life. I give my talents. I give my gifts to you, God. I give my health to you. I give, I give my spouse to you. I give that little car, that hunk of junk, I give that to you. I give you everything. Everything belongs to you. And once you give yourself first to God, then, God, you have any needs on earth? Let me know. I will also give for them. That's what the Macedonians did. That's what the pioneers did. Verse 7. So Paul now, see, he's got, a, he's got, he's got a, a hidden agenda with the Corinthians. Now, verse 7. Since you excel in everything. They're, they're a rather well-to-do church. They're doing fine. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Come on. Be a giver. Verse 8. But I am not commanding you. No, I'm not saying you've got to do this. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And now the classic, the great line of 2 Corinthians. Here it comes. Verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace. Let's read this out loud together. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
Speaking about the great two-step of sacrifice, sacrificial giving, you just, we just read it. Vertical, he comes down. Horizontal, he gives himself to the human race. Empties the treasury of heaven. <laughs> so we're not only trying to be like the Macedonians and the early pioneers. Please, Paul says, I want you to be, I want you to be like Jesus. The two-step, vertical, horizontal of sacrificial giving. You think about it. When Christ walked away from the throne of this universe, stripped off the majestic robe of the supreme commander of all, when he strips that robe off and descends to this dank, dark hole of a planet. When hanging there on Calvary, they strip him of the only possession he holds, which would be his robe, gambled and gone. When Christ stretches out his arms and dies God-forsaken, he dies an eternal death so that you and I might one day have an eternal life. He exchanges it. When he does that, ladies and gentlemen, heaven lays down the parameter. This too, I ask of you, Ellen, James' wife, would later comment on these very words we've just read. Put her words on the screen. You need to pull your study guide out. No fanfare now. No handing out study guides. You got one in your bulletin. Pull it out. You're going to have to fill it in. Here we go from that classic Acts of the Apostles, page 333. Paul was convinced in this passage that if we could be brought to comprehend the amazing sacrifice made by the majesty of heaven, write it down, all, what's that word? Selfishness. All selfishness would be banished from our lives. Wow. And then this is, this is just so beautiful. It's just, I, I didn't come across this until, until this week. In the same page, in the contemplation of Christ, we linger on the shore of a love that is measureless. I gave everything in this universe to win your heart, boy. Girl, to win your heart, I gave it all. I gave it all. A love, we stand on the shores of a, a love that is measureless. One more line. We endeavor to tell of this love and language fails us. We consider his life on earth, his sacrifice for us, his work now in heaven as our advocate, and the mansions he's preparing for those who love him. And we can only exclaim, oh, the height and depth of the love of Christ. End quote. Let me say it again. Wow. Wow, what a God we gathered today to bow down and worship before. What a God. And so today, we are introducing a new kiosk that you are now going to find in several places on the premises of this campus congregation. Do you know what a kiosk is? Picture, please. There is a kiosk, that little white skinny thing. That's a kiosk. Let's, let's take a look at another picture. That's a kiosk as well. The purpose of the kiosk, and by the way, the, what I'm really excited about is the app that comes with it. Because with that app, we can download it. It can be on our smartphones. It can be on our tablets. It can be on our laptops. It can be anywhere we are. Oh, do I? Come on. And by the way, the kiosk and the app will connect you with heaven. They'll connect you with heaven. What's the name of this, the name of this app? 
I have it. Nice try. The kiosk and the app are designed, and most of us, by the way, will be using the app, I know. But the kiosk and the app are designed to enable us to immediately connect with heaven by exercising the great two-step of sacrificial giving through the app, through modern technology. Wow. By the way, we're one of the first churches in North America within our community of faith to have these. Why? Because we got a high-tech parish on the campus of Andrews University. That's why. He said, do I? Come on. I mean, come on. Isn't this a little bit of hyperbole connecting us immediately with heaven? No, no. You think about it. When you give, when you give, you immediately connect with the greatest giver in the universe, and that would be God himself. When you give, boom, you're hooked. You're connected. In fact, jot this down. The kiosk and the app give us a God-given opportunity for a great experience. Would you jot this down and put it on the screen for you? Jesus' great exchange. Here's what we just read in, in 2 Corinthians 8. Jesus' great exchange is God's great example for our great experiment. Come on. I hope you remember that line. Jesus' great exchange is God's great example for our great ex experiment. Come on, Dwight, what are, you what are you talking about? Well, what Paul, Paul has just described here, the great exchange. He gives up heaven. He gives up eternity. All those riches, he becomes poor so that we who are poor might become rich. He who had it all give, gave it all up so that we who had nothing might have it all. That doesn't make sense to me, but that's the truth of the gospel. I do the exchange. I die, you live. I'll trade. Wow. So the great exchange becomes God's example. That's Paul's point. Come on, just look at Jesus. You want to just follow Jesus. It becomes God's great example for our great experiment. You say, what experiment are you talking about? Let me run a couple of verses by you. Come on, you know this. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Jot it down. Test me. This is God speaking. Test me in this. He's talking about tithes and offerings. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Keep going. And see if I will not throw wide... Open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough, room enough to store it. Test me. Come on, come on, come on. Experiment with me. Check this out. Let's just try it. The old, old translation says, prove me now. Let's just see if this really works. You experiment with me. See if I will not bless you beyond your wildest imaginings. When you sacrifice for me, see what I do for you. We do this to earn God's love. Are you kidding? He already loves us completely. Can't do a thing to get him to love us more. You think if you give more, he'll love you more? Are you crazy? He says, I just need you to have my heart. Oh, look at this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We just read this, verse 7. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. It's a test. This, this kiosk, these kiosks, and this new app will enable us, a high-tech way of allowing us to test God, as he just invited us to do, through sacrificial giving. You know what? We have so many now giving on Adventist online, uh, Adventist giving online. Every time we have a board meeting here, we're having another one Monday night, but our, uh, Don Wilson, our finance chair, he gets up and says, hey, guys, we got more people on board. People are just turning. It's just going this, it's just going this way. It's just... That's where the technology is. But now this beats Adventist online giving. Now you have it right there on your phone. You'll have it. Download it. Test me, God says. Check it out. Oh, by the way, those of, a, those of you who want recurring giving, you know, I just I, I don't want to think about this every month. And you say, I want this to go here, 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 here. It'll automatically just recur. 
and receive. Kind of a kind of a neat thing. And by the way, all you have to do with that kiosk is just swipe your credit card. Just swipe it. Just like that. Man, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? Josh, what are you laughing about? Oh, you love it. Okay. Bless you. Anyway, guys, look. In the spirit of the pioneers, in the spirit of the Macedonians, in the spirit of the Lord Jesus himself. Let's first, first we give ourselves to God, then we give ourselves to God's mission on earth. You say, Dwight, come on, come on, come on. We, 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 we got tithe envelopes. We don't need this stuff. Hey, do you know that today there is a generation roaming this earth that has nothing but debit cards or credit cards? They do not know the meaning of the word checkbook. They do not know the meaning of checking account. They say, Dwight, are you serious? No, I'm serious. I'm serious. I hang around a bunch of young, young ones here, even on our staff. They don't even use cash. If we offer them, if, thank you, if we offer them a tithe envelope, what are they supposed to do? Put their credit card in the envelope? That, by the way, is not a bad idea. You put your credit card in, we will sacrifice on your behalf. And it will be our joy. So the point is, we can't have a generation now grumping around about, well, we're from the 20th century and you've got to use a tithe envelope. No, you don't. You can give now, boom, and it'll keep a record for you every single month. None of this having to wait to the end of the year. How much did I give this year? Boom. This thing is all automated now, electronic. First we give ourselves to God, then we give ourselves to the mission of God. And oh, by the way, I need to tell you this. With the new app, you're going to find a new line. With the, new, with the tithe levels, you'll also find this line. It'll have two words on it. Put the two words on the screen, please. These are the two words that will appear. Kingdom growth. Those are the words that now are going to appear. Kingdom growth. You say, Dwight, what in the world is that? Well, it's what the early pioneers did. They were growing the kingdom for Christ to the ends of the earth. We have kingdom growth here at Pioneer. In fact, at Pioneer, we've designated four areas in this new year to receive kingdom growth attention. Let me run these by you. Area number one, children's Sabbath schools. New signage downstairs so you can tell just by an instant looking down the hall. And by the way, high tech, we're going with, with uh, tablets, uh, iPads in every Sabbath school. No more of this place. Do you got, do you got little cards that I can write down who attended today? Forget it. We have, we have technology now. So number one, Sabbath school. Number two, kingdom growth. Baptisms. 125 baptisms. We set out, didn't we? 125 baptisms this year. 250 baptisms off-site through student missions and uh, elsewhere evangelism. 250. Number three, the kiosk and the app. Number four, mission-driven staffing. So when you see those two words now on the, your new app and on the tithe envelope, that's an invitation to help grow the kingdom. So may I be specific with you before I sit down? You know what we need? We need a hundred of us to say, I, 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 I want to do this. I want, I want to grow God's kingdom. We need a hundred of us who would be willing. I know this doesn't seem like a lot. We have a hundred of us who would be willing to give a hundred dollars a month. He said, Dwight, I can't do $100 a month. Come on. Well, well what's four into 100? It's 25. It's less, than a, it's less than filling up your car. Listen, if only 100 of us gave $100 a month this year, every one of these kingdom growth dreams becomes true. And we expand. We keep moving into the world 
that Christ and the pioneers call us to move into. Ah, Dwight, I just can't do it. I'm asking, do you understand? Where am I going to come up with $100? Okay, for you, $50. $50. Do you know how much, Josh, do you know how much $50 divided by four is? It's one pizza a week. One pizza a week. You can't do that? We can. Here's the deal. If we take a page out of the playbook of the early pioneers and we do the sacrificial two-step, giving ourselves first to God and then to His mission, it gets done from Andrews University to the planet. And I'm inviting you today to be one of those hundred. No, really. A hundred dollars a month. You can do it. We can do it together. I got a note from one of our pastors. I got a note from one of our pastors after we had a discussion of this. He says, read this later. I said, okay, I'll read it later. I, I read it right now. As a member of this congregation, okay, as a member of this congregation, seeing the potential from their goals and an affirmation of the lay leader's vision for growing the kingdom, I pledge 1% of the kingdom grow goal. I will be one of those 100. Above and... Well, I let him say it. 1% of the kingdom growth goal. This is in addition to my systematic giving, and he signs his name. And I give some right now, but I really want to wait and use a new app. <laughs> Good for you. Hey, listen, we're not asking you to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. Of course. If you're already giving as a regular giver, this doesn't mean cut 100 out of that and now I'll start pushing it over here. No, 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 no. This is, this is sacrificial, remember? I add it to what I'm doing. We'd be cheating if we did the other, wouldn't we? We have to keep supporting everything that's going on here. This is now above and beyond. Dwight, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Remember Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, that, so that we who were poor through his riches might inherit eternity. We can do it. You can. I end with this. An artist once painted a picture of a, of a bullock. Do you know what a bullock is? It's an old ox, all right? It used to be a farm animal, an old ox. And portrayed on that canvas, the bullock was standing between a plow, and you know what a plow is for, digging up the earth, and an altar. You know what an altar is for? Sacrifice. And the artist inscribed at the bottom of his painting these words, ready for either. Ready for either. Either the plow, giving my life, working hard in the furrow of this world's need, or sacrifice, I give my life. Ready for either. Ellen, James' wife, saw that picture one day. She says, this is a picture of what it means to be a child of God. Willing to go where duty calls, willing to deny self, willing to sacrifice for the Redeemer's cause. Ladies and gentlemen, when I consider the Macedonians and the early pioneers, when I consider the Lord Jesus himself, I want to be just like him. How about you? Grab your Connect card, would you please? You got a Connect card somewhere in that worship bulletin of yours? Guests, we're delighted to have you. You know how this, uh, the regulars all know how this works, but guests, you want to join us? We do this every week. Just your name and an email address, anything more that you'd like to share with us would be fine. Our ushers are already moving now to receive these 
these uh, connect cards. But turn the card over. My next step today. My next step today. Box number one. I am grateful for Jesus' sacrificial love. Oh, boy. Check mark right there. I know we can all put a check mark. We wouldn't be here if we weren't grateful for his sacrificial love. Box number two. Because Jesus' great exchange is God's great example for our great experiment, I'd like to take God up on that experiment and sacrificial giving through tithes and offerings. Maybe you haven't tithed before. Maybe you've never given offerings before. But you say, I, I want to follow that example. I, I, I'm going to step out in, by, in faith. I'm going to step out. And then number three. I'm willing to give blank dollars a month for Christ's kingdom growth mission. What would you and I be willing to sacrifice for the Lord Jesus? If he impresses you right now, jot something down. It'll enable us, enable us to know how to plan. But he says, nah, he's gonna, I'm going to have to think about this a while. That's fine. Nobody's going to know. I want to take our commitment today and lift it to Jesus and say, Lord, seal it. Give us, give us your heart. Let's pray. Oh, Christ. Walk. It's almost embarrassing to even talk about sacrifice in your presence. What is sacrifice in comparison to Calvary? You're willing to die forever so that we might live forever? What does that mean? How could we be loved that much? And yet we stand on the shores of a measureless love. And in gratitude we respond, take our humble decisions Connect us immediately to the heart of the greatest giver in the universe. And in that connection, let us live the adventure of the future. Having looked in the rearview mirror, we must go forward and take us forward in your name, we pray. Amen.